You're listening to the Black and Brown Ghetto Underground. Today's topic is voting. Our country is approaching a pivot point in our history. After four years of Republican rule under the sordid auspices of a would-be tyrant, these are words that I'm not going to mince very well, but a man who wanted to be, or still wants to be, a despot. It's an odd goal for someone to want, but not considering the man. 2016 presented a lot of challenges for people. It, cha- it presented the choice between Hillary Clinton, who's passed with African Americans and people of color, uh, was somewhat gray, for lack of a better word. Some would say that it was just downright horrid. And then we were faced with the choice of her versus Trump. Now, anybody who lived in New York knew Trump was a crook, a criminal, a man who would quicker take you to court than say hello to you. And he would keep you in court for as long as it took because he knew in the end you'd be paying for it. So the choices seemed fairly stark, unambiguous, yet hordes of people stood on the fence or didn't vote at all and Trump became our president the 45th president of the United States fast forward to 2020 after four years some would say of sheer agony torture crime prejudice out of out of control white supremacists who feel emboldened to walk up to black people and do whatever they want to them why because their president says it's okay it's not okay we haven't lived in times like this since the 1940s through to 1965 when the voting rights act was officially voted into law now we see ourselves in 2020 and I'd say it's oddly reminiscent of those times. The first black man was able to vote in 1870. His name was Thomas Monday Peterson, and he voted in that particular time's presidential election. 1870 was also the year the 15th Amendment was uh, voted into law as well, and it allowed black people or people of color the ability to vote. The wording is a bit different. The wording is more along the lines of no person of any race will be barred from voting. I'm paraphrasing. In that time, in the 1870 amendment, the 15th amendment, that amendment does a lot of heavy lifting. It allows anyone of any race to vote in this country and that vote to not be infringed upon. The other unfortunate thing about the 15th Amendment is that it left out women. So the 13th Amendment freed the slaves. The 14th Amendment gave us citizenship. Citizenship is key here. The 15th Amendment gave every citizen the ability to vote unencumbered. In that same time, the Snyder Act admitted and I'm using quotes here, they're air quotes, and I'm sorry, you can't see them, it's unfortunate. The Snyder Act allowed Native Americans citizenship 
in a country that belongs to them. There's a kind of laughable irony to that. And maybe it's not irony, maybe it's obscenity. There's a laughable obscenity to the fact that a country that was stolen from people who were originally there, the men who stole it, or the structures and processes in the system that was used to steal it from them is now going to give them the ability to vote in their own country. Like I said, an obscenity. Also, in 1870, uh, people of any race could vote in this country that includes Hispanics later on, almost retroactively, but it did not let women vote. And we all know that in in and around uh, 1913, Ida B. Wells started the Alpha Suffrage Club in Chicago. Black women were starting their suffrage long before other women had. The groups got together and tried to work together, but racial tensions prevented it. So they disbanded. White women went their way. Women of color went their way. Black women, Hispanic women as well. The thing that one one needs to remember is that the bloody history of this country is filled with those kinds of obscenities. Yet we, as people of color, um, as people who have been marginalized by the system that we hope will help us, we've constantly held on to the belief that our vote counts. You believe that your vote counts when that vote is given to you after not having it. You believe that vote counts when after not having been considered a citizen of the country you toiled for, where your ancestors have died, you figure your your vote's going to count. It's going to mean something. Again, fast forward to 2020. There are people who are out there who are not going to vote. They're going to sit at home or watch it on the television and consider themselves lucky that they don't have to be embroiled in this mess. That the sticky mire of racial injustice and resurgence of white supremacy and not only the resurgence of white supremacy, but the emboldenment, the brazenness of white supremacy is going to impede their vote. They don't have to deal with it. They can sit home. They can watch it on the television. They can watch something else on television. They can let others do it for them. And at a time where we live, where there's a pandemic that is picking people off like a sniper, there are people who have voted in unprecedented numbers. I think the number today being the 24th of October was 42 million people have already voted. The numbers of early voters in Texas, Wisconsin, Illinois have all been astronomical. There's a desire to change this country with their vote because with that vote, whether you think it matters or not, it does matter. We as marginalized people have a power that I believe our president 
remarked to that has never been tapped into. He won the vote. He won the presidency with 60%, or was it less than that, I think? I'm not sure. Check my numbers if I'm, if I'm in, incorrect. But he was correct in saying that what happens if we got 80%? What happens if we got 90% of marginalized people, people of color, people in the LGBT community, if we all got together and decided, you know what? Yes, these are the people. These are the people we want representing us. Why do we want them to represent us? It's a question. What do we get by going out of our way and voting? Regardless of the fact that voting is a fairly effortless and almost easy as pie kind of thing. You walk up to a booth, you find who you want to vote for, and you do it. What do we get for that effort, for that minimal effort? It's a good question. Following is an excerpt from a speech given by James Baldwin in 1968. The reason that black people are in the streets has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance on the part of their co-citizens. Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, that they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father or a black woman or a black son and all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being. So there's an additional bit of history before I get to that answer to the previous question. The Voting Rights Act of 1965. What is that all about? What is the history? If you know it, I'm glad. Good for you. Those who don't. If the 15th Amendment assured the right of every person of any race in this country the ability to vote, what was the need for the Voting Rights Act of 1965? If you look at America's history along a timeline, 1870 really isn't that far from 1965. Chronologically, I don't think you want to wait the length of time it took from 1870 to 1965 to get the thing that you were endowed with by your creator. You wouldn't want to wait that long. And they really didn't. Legally, any person of any color during that time didn't have to wait. There wasn't, legally, they could do whatever they wanted. They could vote, they could own property, they can breathe the free air. The only unfortunate thing about the, the 1870 15th Amendment is that it did not protect the people voting. 
protected the vote, but not the voter. You can do anything with your vote. You could vote for the neighborhood pig. You can vote for the fence post down the way. You could not be protected in the exercise of that vote. You could be intimidated. You could be shot. You could be killed. You could be lynched, all of which happened. You could be told your vote will get you and your family killed, so stay home. Don't vote. The quickest way to win an election is not to stuff the ballot box, but it's to keep a certain segment of that population from voting. Simple. You threaten their lives. You threaten the lives of their family. You threaten their livelihood. Survival over change is a mathematic equation that a lot of us do on a daily basis. So it's not really anything new to people of color that you have to make that choice. So when someone tells me they don't want to vote right now, I can see it. I can't understand it. It's not a mystery. But there comes a time when you need to realize that your vote is your survival. And this election is that time. So what do you get for that vote? It's it's hard to quantify. But if you know your community, if you know the people in it, and you know what they need, because very often they need what you need, and you need what they need, your needs are similar. They're in tandem. They're in sync in many cases. So what do you do? What do you get for that vote? You find people in your area that believe in the things that you believe in. You elect public officials who don't believe that public service is a grift. Like probably 95% of the Republican Congress and Senate. You find people who believe that protecting basic human rights like good health care, good quality health care is something that they need to fight for. You don't hire into office people who you like. Because very often you won't like the person who's going to fight the hardest for you. If you do, if they're likable, that is a win-win. We had that in President Obama. You both liked him and knew that he would fight very, very hard for you. You could go to the Republican Senate, toss the tiniest pebble into the well, and hit one Republican out of one Republican who has no regard for what you want as an American. And when I say you, I mean you as a marginalized person. I mean you as a person of color. You want to put people into office that are determined to make good on the promise, flawed though this promise may be, of the American promise that we are all created equal, that we are all endowed with inalienable rights, that we all deserve good food, clean water, clean air, 
quality health care if we cannot afford it on our own, if we need help to pick ourselves up. There are no bootstraps when you are in that situation. We need political officials, elected officials to take that promise and make it real. Yes, the promise from the offing was flawed. The promise from the very beginning was a bad promise. And it's a promise that has never been fulfilled. But if you want change, hope for change helps. Action for change is better. And that's what we all need to do. We, people of color, need to come together and vote. Research who's running for office. Don't just skim the paper and say, ah, that person's not too bad. I'm never going to vote for him, so I'm not going to vote at all. Find out what they stand for. If the water in the neighborhood in which you live is undrinkable, and the man who is in charge of making that water drinkable does not do his job, he does not deserve that job. And your vote is the voice that tells him it's time for him to go. It's very easy to get worked up by all of this because it's important. I can only speak for myself to say that I've never lived through a period of time where so much was uncertain. Not only do we have to deal with rampant hate crimes and they are soaring. We have to contend with a group of people who feel emboldened by the color of their skin to continue an oppression that started in 1619. The tactics that are being used by hate groups, white supremacist groups, white nationalist groups, and in some locations, police, these tactics have been in place since 1619, when the first slave was sold in Jamestown, Virginia, and when the first slave got it in his gut and in his heart that it is time to extract myself from this bondage, those tactics were still being used then. So not much has changed in, in that regard. I don't mean to disagree with President Barack Obama, but while a great deal has changed, the tools and the tactics of those who are comfortable with the way things are now, they haven't changed. They've become codified. Their concentration has been strengthened by a president who, while he doesn't fully say it's okay, he hasn't really said that it's not okay. We're all truly in this together. 
there's no one segment of this population with the possible exception of those who make more money than the living God. They're in many ways, they're exempt. They don't really have to deal with this, but you and I, people we know, our friends, our family, we do. And until that day comes, when we're all sitting around with a million dollar check in our back pocket, we're still going to have to contend with this. We all need to vote. And while the name of the podcast may be called the Black and Brown Ghetto Underground, it does not exclude anyone. Allies are important. We need them. And they need us. Because we're their brothers and sisters and they are our brothers and sisters. If a white ally is laboring under the misapprehension that Donald Trump cares about them, it is our duty to help them see that he does not. Because they're in bondage as well. They're not free. And no one is free until we all are free. This has been the Black and Brown Ghetto Underground. The first episode is a little janky, and I apologize, but I'm going to get better. I'm going to do one of these each day. I'll be brief. I'll keep them to a, a fairly quick. Yeah, I'll be fairly quick about it. I'll try to keep them under, under an hour. I don't think anybody wants to hear someone they don't know rattle off social politics and injustices that, and also remind someone of their social responsibility and their moral responsibility to their fellow man. Nobody really wants to hear somebody shout at them do that. So, thank you for listening. I hope you come back. Again, this is the Black and Brown Ghetto Underground, and I'll see you soon.